In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Just a reminder that Diet Starts Tomorrow is a podcast for entertainment purposes only. It is not a medical podcast and does not constitute medical advice. Always seek the advice of a physician or a health professional. Betches Media presents Diet Starts Tomorrow. I stand behind my decision to avoid salad and other disgusting things. With hosts Remy Casimir. I'll have what she's having. And Emily Lubin. Remember, shoot like you have a secret. We're here to amuse your boosh. Hello and welcome to Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm Remy. And I'm Emily. And today we're joined by a very exciting guest. Very exciting. Very exciting. I've been following this person for a while. Yep. Registered dietitian, Abby Sharp. Welcome, Abby. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm also a huge fan, so I'm really oh excited about that. Oh Yay. my god! Fans meeting fans, <laughs> friends becoming fans, fans becoming I, friends. I call it friends. We are you're a friends. friend and a fan. Yeah. Can we like do the Fran Drescher voice with it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay, so can you share your background for people who aren't familiar? How did you get started in nutrition? All that stuff. Yeah. So, so like you mentioned, I'm a registered dietitian. Um, I've been working in media, like when we say media, I mean, you know, traditional and digital media for like 15 years now. I was like an OG blogger, um, mm -hmm. went YouTuber, obviously went through. And now of course, social media, TikTok, all that jazz, we do it all. Yeah. So I got into this world of dietetics because of my own experience working with a dietitian when I was in my early 20s. I suffered from uh, an eating disorder called orthorexia. I was lucky enough to have some amazing support from a registered dietitian, which is when I even learned what a dietitian does. Mm -hmm. And, you know, through my recovery process and, and finding my way on the other side, uh, learning how to eat intuitively, how to reject diet culture, I kind of made that part of my 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 ethos and my brand and what I really wanted to help other people achieve in their lives um when it comes to making peace with food because you know we know yeah. that eating disorders are on the rise disordered eating is rampant it is not getting any better with social media so I I feel that no, there's a, a huge need for especially for young folks who are, are just trying to make sense of the world of food nutrition yeah I so appreciate that and and you know I always think about how the conversation seems to be so frequently about the raising rates of obesity or of, you know, fat people, but we don't talk about how rampant eating disorders are and what a valid health concern they are as or well. Or like how serious that is. Yeah, of course. Yeah. A lot of people hear it and they go, good. Yeah. Well, I think there's also this idea that they're, they're a rarity, but you know, it's also worth pointing out that eating disorders are the number one mental health killer mm -hmm. um, amongst young people. And so it's no joke. It's not just like, oh, she's a little skinny. It's like, no, this 
kills young people mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's it is a, it's something that's a, a big concern. You know, I'm a parent myself. So it's something that I'm very wary of, of as I raise my two kids and wanting to help support them on their own journeys with food. And you mentioned orthorexia. We haven't specifically yeah. talked about it. Can you, in your own words, define what orthorexia is? Yeah. So, you know, typically when people think about an eating disorder, they think about restricting food. They're really usually thinking about anorexia, which is kind of um, uh, a concern or obsession with food quantity so Mm -hmm. as to shrink the body, basically. But orthorexia, on the flip side, may or may not have uh, have anything to do with a, a concern over body weight or body image. Um, but it's really about food quality, and it becomes an obsession with food quality. So we often we often kind of describe it as like an obsession with clean eating or clean okay. eating to an extreme. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like I said. The, orthorexia is absolutely on the rise because there are so many fears out there, so much misinformation and disinformation about food. A lot of fear fear mongering. mongering. Yeah. Yeah. So like, (laughs) so everything from, you know, oh, like I did a video on my TikTok where it was like, people are talking about there's stuff that's wrong with dairy milk and almond milk and soy milk and oat milk. And it's like, what can you eat anymore? So you ask yourself, like, of course, people, young people are going to be confused and fearful of food where they open up their app and everything that they have in their pantry is allegedly bad for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was air quotes around that bad. There was. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's going to be probably a lot of air quotes. I'll try to, I'll try to call them out. Yeah. Or I'll make like a sound to indicate it. Like, (laughs) (laughs) And um, as a dietitian, what's your viewpoint on intuitive eating? Is that what you practice or is that what you encourage others to do? I what I like about you is that you're kind of you strike a balance where you're supportive of everybody in their health journey. So it's not like you're anti weight loss or anything, but you yourself, do you practice intuitive eating? I do. And, mm-hmm. you know, that that was a very important part of my recovery process. It's it, absolutely imperative to how far I've come today and where I am today in my relationship with food. I think, you know, ultimately, we're all born intuitive eaters. Like a baby knows intuitively when they are full, they stop breastfeeding, they stop, you know, taking the bottle, they know when they're hungry, and they cry. And over time, we lose a lot of that intuition. But I think a lot of people think about intuitive eating, and they just think, oh, it's the hunger fullness diet. So you just Mm got to eat when you're hungry, and you stop when you're full. But it's much more complex than that. This is an evidence based framework, there's 10 principles, they kind of build upon one another. And at at the crux of it, it's really about rejecting the diet mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, and engaging in acts of self-care and self-love through nourishing your body. And so part of intuitive eating also is being in tune with your body so that you can make more nutritious choices. So gentle nutrition is a principle in intuitive eating. So a lot of people say, oh, you know, if I eat intuitively, I'll just eat myself to death or I'll just binge on pastries or donuts Mm -hmm. or ice cream or whatever. And so, you know, I think they're missing the, the idea that Gentle nutrition is built into this model. And so as we basically reject the diet mentality and we learn to take in data from our body about how foods make us feel, when our mind is not clouded with all of this judgment and shame, Mm. we're able to hear 
that 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 information that hey maybe it doesn't feel so good to eat an entire box of cookies a single cookie or one or two little cookies is more than enough to to you know satisfy my craving and and give me that satisfaction factor mm-hmm. or maybe four or five realistically I was gonna right say. I mean there's days it's gonna be that way and so the idea is you just don't judge yourself you move on tomorrow's another delicious day and another opportunity to to kind of be in tune with your body mm-hmm. I love that and what to your knowledge, does the research say, like, what does the science say about intuitive eating? Yeah, I mean, we've got lots of data that it, it absolutely helps with self-esteem, uh, diet quality, um, helps reduce the risk of disordered eating and eating disorders. And at the end of the day, when we look at population data, we often can see that folks who don't diet tend to have you know, healthier body weights. So the folks that have never been on these diets are the ones that don't have higher elevated weights as they get into older adulthood. I love that for them. (laughs) So I think ultimately it it really comes down to the idea that not every single principle of intuitive eating is going to work for every individual. And this is why I always say, you know, I'm a big fan of body autonomy. I believe that you know your body best and you know if, if you absolutely cannot have cookies in the house or else they're going to, you know, you're going to put yourself in a situation where you're uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. And that's not going to feel good to you. Um, So I I cannot say without, without a doubt that every single individual is going to be able to identify with every principle of of intuitive feeding all at once. But I do believe within those 10 principles, there is something for everyone, whether it's rejecting, you know, the diet police or listening to your body or hunger, hunger, fullness cues, engaging in acts of self-care and body respect. I think that there's, there's something for everyone there and, and their value in learning a little bit more about it, even if you're not fully able to embrace the entire framework in its entirety. Mm-hmm. And when you were healing and you were meeting with your dietitian, is that something mm-hmm. that they were teaching you? So I actually learned a lot about intuitive eating from one of my mentors in, in school when I was trying to, when I was working towards becoming a dietitian. But yes, once, you know, once you're healing from a, a, an eating disorder, you can't just jump right into intuitive eating when you don't have hunger and fullness cues because you've okay. been suppressing them for so many right. years. But yes, it eventually becomes a very important part of recovery once you have built up that body trust and you start to accumulate those hunger and fullness cues again because your body doesn't feel like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to get food again? Mm. Yeah. I Well, I, I've spoken about, I practice intuitive eating and I would say that I've heard that many, many times that people are worried that if they eat intuitively, they would just eat family size containers of Ruffles potato chips all day. And I'm always like, no, it's not really like that. But then when I think back to the early years of recovery and and going through the motions of learning the principles, I certainly was eating a lot of what I had labeled junk food and kind of feeling out of control. But the thing is, you have to go through that to reach yes. that equilibrium with your food. Absolutely. And I do try to be transparent about that for folks who are starting on that journey, because that's a very scary experience for a lot of folks yeah. who have been restricting for so many years. They've got uber, you know, very tight, rigid control over their food intake. And to suddenly open the floodgates and say everything is fair game, it's a very Mm -hmm. unsettling experience. I I know from my own experience, it absolutely felt like I was lost, right? Like I don't have any control. I don't have my rules. I don't have my my restrictions. And Was it almost like, who am I? 
For sure. It was like, yeah. what am I, I don't even know. I had to literally, I, it literally did feel like I was living in almost like a, like a vacation. Like it wasn't home to me. Mm-hmm. Like my body wasn't home to me anymore because I just was so out of sorts with the experience of, of letting go. Yeah. And so I always warn people that yes, it's going to be scary. And if you have been restricting for many years, if you be restricting chips and mac and cheese and cookies or whatever it is, the moment you say, I can have those things, you're going to overdo it. You are going to Mm. eat more than what you would deem, or, you know, even health authorities may deem a normal amount to consume. However, you need to build that body trust. You need to teach yourself, Hey, I can have a cookie tomorrow. The cookies are okay. I'm eating cookies. And eventually the novelty wears out. Like eventually you stop seeing it, putting those foods on a pedestal. And you start to actually be able to hear your body data saying, okay, I like cookies, but I don't like 12 of them, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've really honed over the years where, you know, in my, my early eating disorder days, even my recovery days, I admittedly will say I was fully sweet obsessed, you know, total sweet tooth. I could eat like two full desserts, no problem by myself. And now I, I don't know if I'm just getting old too, but like, I really only need a bite or two. And I'm like, I am good. There's no desire. I don't feel restricted. I don't feel like I'm missing out because I know when I want it again, I can have it. Mm -hmm. And even like I, I have tried to start being more intuitive. I'll have a day that I'm eating all the desserts and then the next day, my body doesn't want them anymore. Like, it's yep. like, okay, we did that. Like, can yep. you go get something leafy? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And I, I always say, like, it's like when you go on vacation and you've been drinking a lot and you've been eating a little more heavy foods than you would be used to. When you get home, you just like want a salad. Mm-hmm. And that's intuitive eating. Yeah, totally. I will say, though, my favorite vacation food is a Caesar salad with shrimp. Ooh, put shrimp on it, anything. Ah, just a grilled yeah. shrimp Caesar by the pool. Don't tell my rabbi. Yum. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's one other thing that I wanted to ask you about because you talk about something that we've discussed on this show, which is not having to substitute foods with the quote healthier choices, but rather adding in things to make them more satiating. And you, your term for it is the hunger crushing combo. Yes. I hope I defined it mm-hmm. adequately, but can you tell us about you the did. hunger crushing combo? Yes. Yeah, so basically the hunger crushing combo is an additive non-diet framework for um, building out meals and snacks. So, you know, most diets that we hear of all the time, it's all about restricting. What do we need to cut out of your diet? What do we need to take away? That puts us into scarcity mentality Mm -hmm. where we just kind of obsess over those foods even more. So the hunger question combo is all about adding something to your diet. So we don't, we take away that scarcity mentality. We are adding in a source of fiber, protein, and healthy fats to meals and snacks. And those, those compounds, the hunger question compounds, I call them, are inherently more satiating than let's say just like refined carbohydrates alone. Mm. And so you're going to feel that, that, that physical satisfaction, that physical satiety. And you're also going to get the emotional satisfaction of consuming the foods that you love. And so there's lots of evidence-based benefits for this. You know, we know it's important for blood sugar management and, you know, for folks, you know, not just for folks with diabetes or insulin resistance, but really we want to make sure we're getting 
even energy throughout the day. So that's really important, helps with satiety. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, the most important piece of it is just putting all foods on an equal playing field. It helps us kind of get out of this black and white mentality when it comes to food. Because if you want, you know, if you want a chocolate chip cookie, have your chocolate chip cookie, but know if you make like a little snack plate with a chocolate chip cookie and maybe some like some cheese grapes. and some fruit yeah. and grapes and like, you know, you get a little snack plate situation, you're going to feel satisfied on that plate rather than going back for more and more chocolate chip cookies. Are there any other examples that you just like love? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, well, I mean, I, I have got a whole series on my YouTube channel, which kind of dives into what people, what people describe as their kind of quote unquote fear foods. Mm -hmm. And I take them and I'm like, let's turn those into hunger crushing combos. So can I, can I give you an example and you can add on to it? So just a slice of cheese pizza. Love it. Love it. Okay. So there's two options here. One, you can serve the cheese pizza with a really nice salad with some chicken or other kind of protein, grilled shrimp, as we just described. (laughs) So, you know, you're getting that fiber, you're getting that the the protein, you can add some fat, some avocado, uh, some nice dressing, there's your, your healthy fats. Or if you want, you know, I've got a whole series also on my TikTok where I order pizzas and I love to get a thin crust pizza load it up with as many vegetables as they carry and then add some kind of protein like some grilled chicken on top and some mm. olives for our healthy fats we got a really good satiating pizza but we're not getting up what we love but we're actually going to feel great afterwards what about something that's like you just start with a slice of bread because that's always my go-to around the house if like i have a loaf of bread i'll just like mm. eat a slice of bread by itself that's what? probably I mean, not great I don't think it's not not great, but <laughs> you can always add something to it. You could, you know, smear it with peanut butter, avocado. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our favorites right now, which is like kind of trending on TikTok, is the whole cottage cheese trend right now. Oh, you whip yeah. up some cottage cheese. It's like rich in protein. Smear that bad boy down. Throw some like sliced almonds and some berries or pear or some kind of fruit on there. That with some sourdough bread. Oh my God. You know what I really want to try? I saw somebody put cottage cheese on toast and then chili oil and honey. Yum. Oh yeah. The hot honey. That's uh-huh. what it's at. Like the Mike's hot honey. Oh my goodness. That I, I that's my combo. It, yeah, I, yeah, I, I love that. it. I love it. And I feel like that's a really easy way for people to understand the concept of adding things in to make them more satiating and to make them more nutritious overall, rather than saying like, I like, was don't talk- have a pizza. Like, yeah, you're still like, having the pizza, even though there's a salad on top of it. Yeah, well, I was talking to someone the other day, and they were um, they were asking me what I thought about those charts that say, if you're craving chocolate, no. then you're really craving spinach. No. <laughs> have you seen these? You know no. what I'm talking about? It's those like the what, worst. what your body actually wants when you want this thing. And I just don't think... Your brain is a liar. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's not exactly. fair. Exactly. Like, it teaches you not to trust your cravings. And it's like, you could have the chocolate, but would it be more satiating if you added in, I don't know, maybe some nuts? Probably. And that's a much right. healthier way to think about it. The chocolate with some raspberry and some nuts? Yeah. Like, I hate those kinds of, if you crave this, you, you're you deficient of magnesium. So have this, mm-hmm. this, this salad instead. That is so idiotic. Who in their right mind has ever being craving you know like i there's also videos where they're like you can have this many chips or you can have 
this many strawberries. It's like, yeah. When in my life have I been craving chips and like a strawberry is going to suffice? Or, or so when do what? I want 10 kilos of strawberries? Yeah. Exactly. It's like, come on. That, it's really a disordered way of thinking about food is by is reducing it down to one, you know, whether it's calories or some kind of nutrient that's in chocolate that is some, in something else. And that's that's what you're craving. It's like, no, our cravings are multifactorial. And what I often see when people try to do this kind of like dance around their craving is what I call the satisfaction hunt. So let's say you're craving straight up potato chips. Well, first you're going to go for the the rice cakes and then you eat the rice cakes and that doesn't hit. Okay. Now I'm going to get like the little rice cake chips. Okay. That not, not quite it. Okay. Now I'm going to go for like a bag of popcorn that doesn't hit. And then you basically plow through all of these snacks and so you finally just give in and you eat the stupid chips because yeah. that's what you actually want. And then in the process, you've eaten way more calories than had you just sat down and had a mindful bowl of chips. Yeah, totally. I, I think a lot of people listening have had that experience. I know I've had that experience so many times. You waste so much time and energy trying to avoid the thing you actually want. And then it just bites you in the ass anyway. Because then you have a tummy ache and you can't even get the the thing you want down. And you're not even going to really enjoy the chips that you really wanted. You're like full. Right. Yeah. It feels like cat food has been the same forever. Smelly, boring, made of mystery ingredients. That's why you've got to try Smalls. Small's cat food is protein-packed recipes made with preservative-free ingredients you'd find in your own fridge. And it's delivered right to your door. Make the switch from kibble and give your cat a meal they'll love. We actually sent some Small's to my friend in Brooklyn who is fostering kittens, and they took to it right away. It is delicious. It is nutritious. It is easy to serve. Yum, yum, yum. Eat it up. Your cute kitty is descended from ferocious desert cats who hunted live prey. Even if your cat prefers to nap all day, they still need fresh, protein-packed meals for a balanced and healthy diet. Other brands fill their food with mysterious meat byproducts, artificial flavoring, and preservatives with names I don't even want to try to pronounce. After switching it up to Smalls, 90% of cat owners reported overall health improvements. That's major. The team at Smalls is so confident your cat will love their product that you can try it risk-free. That means they'll completely refund you if your picky cat won't eat their food. Now is the time to make the switch to Smalls. Head to smalls.com slash DST and use promo code DST at checkout for 50% off your first order, plus free shipping. That's the best offer you'll find, but you have to use my code DST for 50% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code DST for 50% off your first order, plus free shipping. Guys, as many of you know, I've been on an alcohol-free journey. Please don't hold it against me that I just said journey, but I have. And one thing that I've really missed on this journey is beer. But now with Athletic Brewing, I'm able to get that delicious beer-like taste in my mouth without any of the alcohol. It's amazing. Just so you guys know, I used to love sours. I'm a big sour drinker and I really miss that taste. And now I don't have to miss out on it. It's amazing. Whether you're trying to cut back or you just want to explore a non-alcoholic alternative, Athletic Brewing is often a game changer. They offer a variety of different full-flavored brews with no alcohol allowing you to sip and celebrate anytime and anywhere. 
Do you like hazy IPAs, sweet fruity sours? Now you can enjoy this style without the hangover the next day. They offer hassle-free delivery right to your door when you order at athleticbrewing.com. Athletic brews bevs you can drink anytime, anywhere, and still go right back to whatever you were doing. It's a great fit for parenting, playing sports, watching sports, doing chores, late nights, and early mornings, so you can imbibe without worry. Try Athletic Brewing non-alcoholic beers for yourself. Use code DST to get 15% off your first order at athleticbrewing.com. That's code DST at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. We actually have put together uh, nutrition myths or, you know, I'm not even going to call them myths. We're not sure if they're myths. These are things that we're like, we've heard. Yeah, they're rumors. Yeah. They're nutrition rumors. And because that's one thing that I think you do so, so well is debunking the myths. So I think we're going to debunk myths today, but we might possibly bunk some myths. Who knows? Yeah. We Um, might bunk up. And we have our own questions, but we also have listener submitted questions. Okay. Can we start with ours just because? Absolutely. Yeah. This one is one that Emily and I have spoken about a good amount. Sugar is addictive. Is Mm -hmm. it? So the million dollar question, it's a very complicated question, a very complicated answer. And I've got like a whole video on my YouTube channel that's like Mm -hmm. 30 minutes long trying to unpack the data. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is the research on sugar addiction is not cut and dry. It's not super conclusive. You know, in short, we've seen a lot of the, the headlines in the media saying that, oh, you know, sugar is just as addictive as cocaine or some other kind of drug. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, God, that's scary. Like, I'm giving that to my kid. Um, yeah. And so that, that data is, I mean, that, that claim is based in like, su- like a, a little bit of truth in that mm-hmm. we see in the research that sugar does spike dopamine, which is, you know, other drugs do that too. And it lights up parts of the brain in response to sugar similar to when you consume drugs. Um, and we also see in the research that the rats basically get severe withdrawal symptoms after sugar is removed from the diet. They, you know, they're given sugar and then they take it away, they get withdrawal symptoms, which again is reminiscent of other um, addictions. Mm-hmm. But a lot of this, this hype has left out the part of the data where the rats who are given access, um, who, who basically were restricted of all sugar and then given a a bunch of sugar binged on the sugar Mm. and so you know people think oh my gosh it must be so addictive but they were previously restricted and the rats who are given access to sugar whenever they wanted they didn't binge and actually their total sugar intake was actually lower than the binging rats Mm. um so there's that like so the moral of the story from that which again is rat research not human research so it's not even great research to be basing any conclusions Mm -hmm. on to begin with But the moral of that story is like, okay, this makes sense. If we restrict ourselves, what happens? Oh, yeah, we can't help ourselves when the floodgates open, but to overconsume. And so, you know, that to me says we don't want to go hardcore on the extreme diets when we know that it's usually going to result in us overdoing it when we do have access. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing that people don't remember is that you know, we get a boost in dopamine, which is like our feel good hormones from things that are not addictive, like cuddling babies and like listening to music. (laughs) I would argue that is very addictive. I mean, they're like smelling a baby's head. I'm like, I want to huff that all day. I know. I know. (laughs) So yeah, but generally we like don't call laughing a 
quote unquote addictive, addictive or yeah. listening to music, quote unquote addictive, like a drug. Um, so, you know, my take home message when it comes to sugar addiction is that it may or may not be a concrete clinical recognized phenomenon yet. Um, I do think that there are certainly people who are predisposed genetically to feeling kind of more out of control or deriving more pleasure from sugar mm-hmm. or sweet food in general. Um, but the experience of sugar addiction is very much real for a lot of people, and it definitely deserves to be validated. Um, so I do hope we have more quality research coming. And um, and if that is a challenge that you feel that you identify with, and definitely warrants working with you know a therapy and dietitian team. That's a good answer. Fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also have questions about carbs, the dreaded mm. carbs. Do carbs make you gain weight? Yeah, Charlie on Vanderpump Rules said that she heard that one. <laughs> she, so. she, yeah, she thinks it. pasta yeah. makes people fat. Yeah, so she knows right. pasta. I remember that. I remember that clip. Yeah, <laughs> no, that this is an easy one. Um, excess calories make you gain weight. Not any particular macronutrient, and mm-hmm. you know a lot of carbs, including like high fiber carbs, have been shown to help aid in weight loss. So we can't paint, paint all carbs with the same brush. What's a high fiber carb? Oh, so a high fiber carb would be something like like a whole grain or okay. you know fruit, for example, pears and raspberries. I always forget and- fruits a carb. Yeah, fruits of carb, fruits yeah. of carb, mm-hmm, and yeah. it you know it, it contains carbohydrates, energy, but it also contains that fiber. So we know that those foods have been shown to help aid with weight loss. Um, and then, you know, the the research when we look at low carb diets versus low fat diets, generally short term, we do see a little bit of an advantage for the low carb diet. But that's because when you go low carb, basically you deplete your glycogen stores, which also deplete your water stores. So you're losing a lot of water weight right out the gate. And that's why when people go keto, they like drop a lot of weight really fast, but then they may plateau. Mm. Um, But when we look at the long term data, it all kind of equals out. So the bottom line is, you know, you got to do what's if you're looking to lose weight, I should say, you have to choose the the diet that is the easiest diet for you to maintain a calorie deficit with the least amount of discomfort. Some people love eating low carb. I mean, I don't understand, but if that brings you joy more so than cutting out sources of, of, you know, high fat foods like cheese or avocado or whatever, then that sounds like it might be a good fit for you. Okay. Okay. Well, speaking of fats, we also have there are good fats and bad fats, which we've kind of addressed. You've said that there are some good fats, avocados. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, for sure. So uh, this is the kind of like a yes and no question. So I, I don't love to demonize any foods as mm-hmm. quote unquote bad, but if there's beep, beep. any kind of uh, yeah, <laughs> if there's <laughs> any kind of food um, or food component that I would call not so great. It's trans fats. And those are mostly banned in our food system today, though some food manufacturers can kind of skirt around the rules because you can label something as trans fat free if it's got less than 0.5 grams per serving. Um, So as long as they manipulate the serving size to be small enough to keep that under 0.5 grams, then you can see it'll say trans fat free on the package. So it's a little sneaky. So if you really do, you know, if you want to keep an eye open, you want to look on the package for the words partially hydrogenated oils. That's a a, a trans fat. So you'd want to be avoiding that. But when it comes to other fats and oils, I do think that most fats have redeeming qualities. And Mm -hmm. we actually want to get in a wide range of fatty acids because each individual fatty acid has unique health properties and benefits. So if we were to consume only like a seed oil, like sunflower oil, 
we're going to get too many omega-6s. And if we are going to consume only like coconut oil, we're going to get way too many saturated fats in the diet. So we really do want to switch it up and try to try to get a wide range of fats. Diversify. And oils in, it, diversify is so important with all types of foods, but you know, it, especially oils, because I think most people kind of just use one oil in their home to cook with. Yeah. And I really make an effort to basically switch it up as often as possible. So That's coconut cool. oil, olive oil, avocado oil, butter, you know, they all have their redeeming qualities in my books. Um, and of course, we do want to try to focus on those omega, uh, omega three fats whenever possible, because we do know that uh, those do have um, benefits and most people are not getting nearly enough of those. I love and that. I think that the big one. Yeah, with the oil, just because it's such an easy way to diversify. It's exactly. like, okay, today I'll cook with something else. And, and you know, sometimes there it, it really just depends on what you're making. Sometimes like coconut oil, just the flavor profile alone mm -hmm. just works better with what I'm making. I may be making sesame something oil a little more... in a stir fry. Yeah. Exactly. Like it's key for certain you're not gonna put sesame oil in like your smoothie, but you might put some flax oil in a smoothie or mm -hmm. something like that. So I think that 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 it's it's worth trying to switch things up as often as possible. And and the one that gets the most hate, of course, are all the seed oils right now. So canola oil, you know, all of those other kind of seed oils are always being called out on TikTok and YouTube as being quote unquote inflammatory. Oh. Um, and the main reason for this is because they contain omega-6 fats, which we do have research to show that some omega-6 fats can be inflammatory in excess. But when we look at the larger body of research, it actually shows that omega-6s like in isolation don't have a significant effect on inflammation. Like so many influencers will be screaming at the, the top of the rooftops, just like they're inflammatory. And so the bigger concern really is our omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. And most North Americans are getting like a 16 to one ratio, which is not ideal. When we actually want to be getting closer to four to one or even one to one. Mm. So I really do. That's where I kind of say you want to try to work in those omega threes wherever possible, adding a little flax oil on your salad or into a smoothie, trying to incorporate more more uh, food based sources of omega threes like fish and things like that. That's going to help to balance out some of the the other omega sixes that we we find more regularly in the diet. It's just funny. We actually did get a listener question, which we're we'll ask later. But we got a listener question specifically about seed oils and mm. about whether they're inflammatory. Do you think a lot of the misinformation that's being spread around is because of TikTok? Oh, 100 percent. TikTok, it, it just, you know, it's there's a never ending pool of everyone's an expert and you know, mm -hmm. everyone's a creator and everyone has a platform. And so it just becomes a, so uh, obnoxiously easy to spread mis and disinformation on TikTok. Um, and, and, you know, it's like these seed oils, like canola oil, like I feel so bad for canola oil. Canola oil <sighs> no. actually has a great omega three to omega six ratio. Like it's great. And so I honestly believe this is a hot take here. But I honestly believe that a lot of of the hate towards certain foods or food components is it's kind of a a, a marker of financial privilege in a lot of ways. It's, sure. it's elitist um, because we know that seed oils and like canola oil are certainly less expensive than buying extra virgin olive oil or, you know, extra virgin pressed mm -hmm. coconut oil or whatever it may be. And so I think that 
people lose the, the forest from the trees and they, they, they pick up on these little tiny details that, that make them quote unquote bad or inflammatory. Most people don't even know what inflammatory means. I, for God's I wanted sakes. to like, ask about that. Like what does inflammatory mean to these people? Are they talking about I your stomach know. getting inflamed? Are they talking <laughs> about your body getting inflamed? It's a, like It's such a buzzword that I, I also don't even know. I, I believe they, I don't know what they think it means, but inflammation in the body is, you know, a marker of chronic disease. So I, maybe that's what they think. inflammation where? Like in right. your lymph like, nodes, in your skin? Like there's yeah. so many I different- I just assumed it so, was the digestive system. It could be right, bloating. Like what are we, ta- what are we talking about? We don't know. Yeah. And that's just like, it's the funny thing. Like you could ask all these influencers, do you even know what gluten is? And they probably don't. Like they're just like, it's bad. <laughs> that's all I know. It's just bad. Um, and so I do think that, uh, a lot of this is, I mean, a lot of, a lot of these, these concerns are absolutely not founded in research. And I, and I worry that they are just perpetuating, um, a lot of disparities when it comes to folks who can and can't access these quote unquote wellness products or, uh, you know, quote unquote healthy, non-toxic food or Mm -hmm. anti-inflammatory foods or whatever it is, because, you know, like they've all, they're, they're going to complain about everything that mm-hmm. uh, oat milk's bad, almond milk's bad. Everything's bad. Everything is bad. You guys, like, let's just <laughs> be clear. Well, yeah. I mean, too much of anything yeah. is bad. You know, it, it's yeah. funny because when yeah. you think about it, it's like any food would be bad if that's all, all you, you ate. ate. Yeah. You ate a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Bananas. Yes. And, that's, and that's why we say, uh, you know, varieties of spice and life you mm-hmm. gotta you gotta switch it up and spices are also the spice of life <laughs> yes spices Add are flavor. also spicy. this episode is brought to you by newly have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always find the super high-end stuff i have a solution for you newly newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there. And I've even made a few purchases from there. And they're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life. So it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to newly, that's N-U-U-L-Y dot com and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. There's one on here, which I've heard a ton, which is don't eat before bed. Is that a good thing to say or is it? Just BS, 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 BS. Um, well, I mean, everyone's different. Some people need a little bit more time to digest their food yeah. before they go to sleep and they lay down, especially if you've got like acid reflux. So of course, like I'm not saying that that that's not valid. Then, mm-hmm. you know, you would do want to space at your, your meals before you lay down, especially if it's a big heavy meal. 
that said, if if the don't eat before bed is in the context of like, oh, you're going to gain all this weight if you eat after eight. It's like, no, going, you know, not 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 eating before bed or or I said eating right before bed is not going to make you magically gain any kind of weight. It is true that I think where this comes from is that the body has a preferred circadian rhythm. And we know from some research that front loading our calories earlier on in the day, especially our carbs in the morning, does have some metabolic benefits because we are more insulin sensitive in the morning. Mm -hmm. But in the grand scheme of weight loss, this is not going to make a difference. The amount of calories do. And I think that, you know, most people reach for chips or ice cream or something like that at nine or 10 PM. They're not reaching for carrot sticks and apples. Mm -hmm. So if you gain weight because you eat at night, it's more likely because you just are you are restricting kind of eating during more. the day. You're probably yeah. Most people, what ends up happening is they get so busy in the day they don't eat enough, and then they're so tired by the end of the day they sit in front of the couch, they eat whatever's easy and convenient, and perhaps not so nourishing and balanced. And yeah, then we just are taking in more calories than our body needs, and then we gain weight. So that's the biggest reason why potentially light net eating is associated with weight gain, not so much because. The, the time on the clock just makes your body store mm -hmm. fat. Yeah. And it's not true that your metabolic rate decreases when you sleep. I, I think I heard somewhere it's actually been shown to be a little elevated when you sleep. Yeah, it, it really, we want to be looking at the day in, in total. So it doesn't really matter, you know, uh, how quickly your your body's going to be metabolizing that right. food. We're, we want to still make sure that we're, we're either in a calorie deficit if weight loss is the goal or we're maintaining our a calorie balance essentially and not over consuming calories. Mm -hmm. Makes total sense. Sometimes you do need a little something to like make your tummy oh, feel better I before do. bed. I have a bedtime snack every day. Like, so yeah. just heads up to all your audience dietitian here. I have a large bedtime snack. I am an insomniac. So if I don't have a big bedtime snack, I have like a, a fear that I'll wake up and then I'll be hungry. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, like then it'll just perpetuate my like lack of sleep. So I, by rule have a large snack before bed and it to me it's quite calming mm -hmm. um sure there's certainly some foods that are better or worse for pre-bed eating a uh, really heavy high fat meal especially like i said if you've got acid reflux or a digestion not a great idea mm -hmm. also just digestion wise it could take a long time to to break down and high sugar foods also not so great because it can spike your insulin and then you can end up a little bit uh it can interfere with your sleep in the night but choosing some a good quality protein source with some high fiber carbs maybe some healthy fats in there basically my hunger crushing combo that is really the key to getting a good hearty bedtime snack that's going to help to support good sleep. Yeah. Yes. Go with the HCC. Yeah. This is one that I personally have always wondered. Sweet potatoes, are they better for you than potatoes? <laughs> no. I mean, I, again, it's like we're we're grasping at straws here. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I did a whole video on this on TikTok. But basically, one is not better than the other. They're just a little bit different, not even that different. They both have virtually the same amount of calories. Um, white has a little more potassium. Uh, sweet potatoes have a little more vitamin A and slightly more fiber, like a gram more fiber. We're not talking about anything significant here. So definitely not a big enough difference to warrant the like extremely different uh, like reputations in the health space that these two things have. It's like white potatoes are junk food and sweet potatoes are a superfood. It's quite <laughs> ironic to me when they actually are so, the differences are insignificant. 
Okay, cool. And you made a video about this on TikTok? I did. So there is some good ask. information on TikTok then. Yeah. <laughs> just me, guys. Just me. Just her. Well, no, there was there was another uh, question that we got um, that was popular TikTok advice I've been seeing was drinking coffee on an empty stomach messes up your cortisol levels. Is that mm true also have you seen these videos because i oh yeah i've seen everything like, <laughs> trust me you should like my it's so sad like my tiktok feed is so skewed towards all this problematic information because it's what people are tagging me in it's what i'm reacting to and and so yeah my my feed is quite toxic my for you page mm. is brutal i just mm -hmm. like try not to look at it and i just look at like the people i follow because i can't handle it godspeed yeah um, yes okay well what do you think about this war on coffee yeah. in the morning okay i it's very common claim i see it all the time in the wellness space it is not a concern to me as a dietitian so what we know is that yes Caffeine can increase cortisol because caffeine's a stimulant and cortisol is kind of like our fight or flight hormone. Mm -hmm. And cortisol levels are naturally highest in the morning. So this is why a lot of these, you know, wellness influencers or holistic nutritionists or whatever are saying, oh no, we don't want to have coffee in the morning. It's going to spike your cortisol even more. But the reality is, is that first of all, cortisol is not all bad. It has a really bad reputation as being this big, bad fat storage hormone, but it, it is important. We do need cortisol in the body. Um, and the effect of caffeine on cortisol from the research actually diminishes with regular caffeine consumption. So if you regularly drink coffee, like within an hour of waking up, like most human beings, like your body adapts to this habit and basically it sees it like, okay, there's not a bear coming at me. I don't need to freak out right now. It's just, ha I'm just having my coffee. Um, and this essentially, this, this, this blunts the transient effects on cortisol. Uh, and that's another really important piece is that this is transient. This is not going to like cause you to have chronic high cortisol levels if you have a coffee in the day, um, especially if you your body is, is used to it. Um, there are much bigger fish to fry when it comes to cortisol, just in general chronic stress. Mm -hmm. um, and as for the, the empty stomach piece, like a lot of people say, oh, you just can't have it on an empty stomach. You have to have like to eat first. I would say theoretically, this may make sense to have some food with your coffee if you experience like ill effects, like if you feel like a little more jumpy or jittery. a little more anxious yeah. or jittery and you don't like that sensation or it upsets your stomach, which is another kind of big complaint of coffee, the gut rot thing. I think that that is the, the bigger reason to maybe have some kind of food and or even like a latte with, uh, as your coffee, mm -hmm. just to, to add some 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 nutrition in there to buffer add something it. in. Um, yeah, just add something in. But experiment to see what feels best to you because there's not actually any research on on this to show that oh you if you have it with with food or without it's going to make a difference. We don't have research on this. This is just kind of like a popular TikTok concern that I do not think is a big deal. If you don't like the way coffee makes you feel in the morning don't drink it. If it doesn't bother you because your body's used to it, it's not going to harm you. Okay. And another cortisol related question. I think a lot of people are very concerned about cortisol. Yeah. Stress and higher cortisol levels makes you hold on to stomach fat. I've heard no, this. Being cold makes me hold on to stomach fat. <laughs> <laughs> and other parts of my body. In arm, yeah. You, in all, yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So this is actually true. Um, this is one of those, yeah, we're, we don't have to debunk this one too much, but I'll give some context because I don't want people freaking out. I know cortisol, again, it's this like, 
this scary word that has just really been passed around and people, I don't think anyone really understands it. So it feels even more scary, but the reality is, is that, like I said, cortisol is normal. We have cortisol in the body. It's normal for our levels to fluctuate throughout the day, high in the morning, lower at night as we got to kind of like wind down to go to sleep ideally. But when we're talking about the risk for belly fat or even weight gain in general or chronic disease in cortisol, we're talking about chronic stress and chronically high levels of cortisol throughout the day. Um, so if you were to like have a stressful moment and just like, I don't know, like like lose your kid for a second or almost get into a car crash and you like, you, you know, your, your heart starts beating really fast, you're not going to like gain five pounds from yeah. that experience. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to clarify that that's not how it works, but it's this chronic stress that can is associated with belly fat accumulation it's likely related to um the release of a fat storing enzyme from excess cortisol being kind of chronically high um so you know i know it's easier said than done to just not be stressed i i'm you know i've got anxiety myself so i know how how frustrating recommendations like that can be but mm -hmm. i do believe in making an effort to improve our sleep quality because we know that that is a clear evidence-based way to help to support either weight loss or weight management or prevent weight gain um, and also just finding other acts of self-care like moving our body and just feeding your body regular nourishing meals because that alone not having time to kind of sit down for a meal is also stressful for totally. our body yeah like under eating or over exercising is also a chronic stressor on the body people don't realize that so sometimes when people are going on these extreme diets their their cortisol levels are through the roof when you're exercising yeah. doing crazy amount of hits training your cortisol level is spiking so these are things that are a little counterintuitive people might think oh i just need to i'm i'm working out three times a day because i want to lose weight but meanwhile they're spiking their cortisol levels so high mm -hmm. that it's kind of um kind of counteracting some of the efforts they're they're making yeah and and meditation app you guys if you don't Absolutely. have a meditation app get on board get it they're yes. so nice and you only have to do it for like a minute a day or yep. whenever you're not feeling grounded yep you ever do a meditation app i've I tried do. and i have an a hard time quieting my mind but mm. i know that that's it's not so a hard. unique problem no it, it's definitely it takes so much practice and you know, especially when you've got such a busy day, because there's always like something in the back of your mind being like, oh, am I, is it really worth me taking the time to do this when I should yeah. be doing this and this and this and this? That's so hard. Totally. Um, but then it's always worth it because you're like, my mind is racing. I might yeah. as well just like stop it for one minute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe that'll be my 2024 resolution. Fun. Warmer weather is finally back. After so many cold months, it's nice to get outside and soak up the sun. But the springtime always brings those unwanted guests, pollen and seasonal allergies. April showers bring spring flowers and sniffly noses and stuffed up sinuses. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. I suffer from seasonal allergies. I just had them hit the other day. I couldn't breathe through my nose at all. And I popped a Claritin and it was like night and day. I'm a huge fan of Claritin. I use it on the 
the regular. And it always helps when we're making that transition from winter to spring, which is when my allergies flare up. Mainly, it's my sinuses that get so clogged and the Claritin just clears it right up. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy throat and nose, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Ready to live your life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Should we move on to some listener-submitted questions? For sure. Sure. We do have many of them. We have many. Because people are curious and there are so many myths that need bunking or debunking, but we'll try to pick the good ones for you. How much protein do you really need? Most complicated question of all time. I'll try to answer it super quick. (laughs) Uh, I mean, that's really because like, it's it's such a broad question and obviously... There's a million different published equations and a million different suggestions, even in the literature, right? And most of these pertain to unique situations. So everyone that's listening is going to have a different unique situation. So sex, age, how much activity you're doing, your body comp, metabolism, gut health, et cetera, all play into how much protein you need. That said, you know, as a dietitian, I generally recommend based on all the research I've read, uh, 0.7 to one grams, uh, per pound of body weight. Ideally, um, that is a lot more than the DRI, but most of us dietitians don't feel that, that the DRI provides nearly enough to be optimal, basically just to kind of get by. Um, so, you know, we know that protein is so important for satiety. It's got so many great benefits for weight management as well, if that's a concern, especially as we get into the older years. So I do say somewhere around 0.7 to one gram per pound. Okay, it's a lot that, of math. Feels no, like. but that's a pretty easy <laughs> no, equation like, to remember. No, okay. yeah, like like if you're let let's say you're 180 pounds, it would be 180 grams of protein. Correct. One gram per pound. Yeah. Okay, but it's really 0. 0.7 to one gram. But you know, you can yeah. Okay, so okay, okay. It could be like it could be like you know 150 to 180, depending on where you want to put yourself in that range. Cool. Very helpful. Is it necessary to drink a full glass of water before a meal to be healthy? No, no. I don't even know where this came from. I mean, there. I also hear on the flip side that you you don't you don't want to drink water before your meal because it's going to dilute your digestive enzymes or things like that. No, oh, you can. You don't need to obsess over all these little minute details. It's like you can drink water throughout the day as you're thirsty. It doesn't need to be at specific times. Everyone's needs are going to be unique, and I know that we've always heard the kind of like you need eight glasses or eight 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 ounce glasses of water a day. Mm -hmm. This is just a rough estimate. Ultimately, your best bet is to pay attention to the toilet, make sure that you're peeing regularly and you want to see like a pale yellow color. If it's clear, 
you're overhydrating. If it's mm. bright, oh. you're underhydrating. So that's typically. A and good. if it's you want Dijon tea. mustard colored, not see a good. Definitely <laughs> see a doctor. Good. Yeah, yeah, that's. You know, I think the water myth came from people wanting to suppress their appetite because I I think that's like an OG um, pro Anna board. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. It totally is. Yeah. To be healthy threw me off versus if it said to be skinny, I would have been like, okay, uh, red flag. Yeah. Um, But healthy has become code for skinny uh, in some circles. In some circles. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, too, is if it required a glass of water before every meal to be healthy, no one in Europe would be healthy because those people do not drink water. They don't give them tap water. They don't drink at all. Yeah, You drink like a a little shot glass of water. Well, you have to buy a bottle of mineral water every time you want to have water. For sure. It's It's fucked up. We got a bunch of questions about like vegetarian and vegan options and stuff. Will being a vegetarian or a vegan uh, lengthen your life? Yes, this is a great, this is a great question. And again, probably like this one's legit. Um, like we, we don't have like randomized control trials on this because it's impossible to control somebody's diet and like follow them forever. But correlationally, we do know that people who eat vegetarian or vegan diets or mainly plant-based diets do live longer. Uh, some research suggests even like 10 years longer, which is profound in my opinion. Um, but that said, nutrition research is inherently and notoriously crappy because it's hard to it's hard to study people and control for all these different variables. So it comes down to like, okay, are they living longer because they're not eating meat? Are they living longer because they're eating more plant-based mm-hmm. foods? Are they living longer because there's just something unique about vegetarians because they they engage in other health promoting behaviors mm-hmm. like not smoking or maybe yeah. they eat lots of fruits and vegetables. Maybe they are more wealthy. They have more money just to to take on these kinds of and to afford health care like and stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's very hard to tease things at these things out. But I think just based on all the, the body of research we have, I I'm fairly certain that anyone other than the carnivores out there can agree that eating more plant based foods is good for your health. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that we need to be necessarily full vegan to reap those benefits if that doesn't bring you joy. But replacing meat meals more often with plant-based proteins is absolutely beneficial. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah. Is oat milk good for you? And also, what is the best type of non-dairy milk? Yeah, so good for you. I mean, it depends on how you want to define good. But at the end of the day, I think that almond milks, oat milks, all of these non-dairy milks, um, they ha- they offer variable amounts of nutrients. I would say what's, you know, the best. I personally, as a dietitian, prefer soy or pea milk because at least they have protein, a, a protein content comparable to that of dairy milk. Mm-hmm. Whereas almond milk and oat milk do not. They, they're either you know, they've got oat milk has uh, quite a bit of more carbs. Um, Almond milk is typically very low calorie, nothing really much there. So outside of the vitamins that they've been fortified with, they're not really offering that much. Uh, None of these things are necessarily bad for you. Mm -hmm. They absolutely serve a purpose. If you like your coffee with oat milk, do not change your coffee. Like that's one of my like take homes for people is like, you have to have your coffee your way. That is sacred. I don't touch that. I would never tell someone to change how they have their coffee. I don't care what it is. You find something else in the diet to to harp on. Have mm-hmm. your coffee your way. That's your moment. Oh, I love that. Um, coffee is sacred. Yeah. Have it your way. It's super sacred. Well, I feel like people uh, gravitate towards the non-dairy milks because they might have 
a bad impression of dairy or want to avoid dairy. And somebody did ask, is dairy bad for you? They asked, is it inflammatory? And is it inflammatory? (laughs) So again, yeah, not bad for you at all. In fact, again, people love to throw this inflammatory language around. There was actually a big man analysis that found that dairy was not inflammatory and it does not increase your risk of diabetes or metabolic syndrome or obesity. Um, And there's actually a lot of uh, data in support of dairy, especially fermented dairy like yogurt and kefir, even cheese. So I do recommend choosing fermented dairy more often than let's say ice cream or cream or fluid milk. But unless you're lactose intolerant, there's really no need to avoid. Yeah, I can see how someone who's lactose intolerant or sensitive to dairy in some way yeah, that's going to feel inflammatory to their body you're because allergic. their body's not. Yeah, you're not <laughs> doing so good when you consume it. You're on the toilet for all, all, the, all the whole day. So listen to your body. If that doesn't feel good to you, certainly you don't need to consume it. But I, I do think that there's, uh, you know, lots of nutrition and pleasure to be derived from dairy if you if you like it. And if you don't like it or doesn't feel good to your body, don't eat it. There's so many other alternatives, and it's, you know, it's it's great that we have choice here in North America. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked, how can I lower my salt intake? And I kind of have a a piggyback question of like, why would you want to? I mean, I I don't know what this person's health concerns are. Their doctor may have asked them or recommended that they reduce their sodium intake. Mm -hmm. I think that the easiest way to reduce sodium intake is just to reduce our reliance on ultra processed foods and or takeout restaurant food. You know, the salt that we're adding on the table, not a concern. In fact, I negligible negligible Uh, you know salt is one of these like really controversial topics because you know for years we have these guidelines the guidelines are recommending literally like half that we consume half of what north americans are consuming Mm -hmm. naturally every day and then there's there's data to support that and there's data to support on the other end saying actually a low sodium diet may actually be da- dangerous for health, may increase your risk of heart failure, may increase your risk of heart disease, et cetera. So it's, I, I, I believe it's a bit of a J-shaped curve here where we see risk at either end of the spectrum, too little or too much sodium. And this is something that we're really going to have to tease out through more high quality research in the years to come. But uh, yes, I think that we can all benefit from reducing our reliance on ultra processed foods you know, regardless of what the doctor says. Somebody also asked, do processed foods cause cancer? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah. So first I want to clarify, there's a difference between processed foods and ultra processed foods. And Mm. this is where people people don't know this. Processed foods include yogurt, frozen fruit, almond milk, uh, my bo- box of water, I guess, probably, I don't know, like anything that's not in its whole foods uh, form is processed. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. I mean, pasta is processed, you know, a bag of rice is processed, etc. Mm-hmm. Pretty benign. Ultra processed foods are the ones that we are talking about here. And typically there are, you know, more additives, preservatives, things like nitrates, which is, I think, where a lot of the controversy lies when it comes to cancer. You know, we hear a lot of uh, headlines and seeing a lot of research linking ultra-processed meats like, you know, bacon and sausages, hot dogs, things like that to certain cancers. So mainly bowel cancer, but also pancreatic cancer and stomach cancer. And so the WHO uh, had classified 
these ultra-processed meats as a group one carcinogen, which basically means that it's been shown to increase the risk of cancer. Mm -hmm. And like I said, most of this is based around the nitrates or concern around nitrates, which contain or become chemicals in the body that are cancer causing. But what people don't what people don't realize what's really important to note here is that while the media reports are always like comparing hot dogs to cigarettes being like you know having a hot dog is the same as smoking a cigarette it's they're not understanding the level of risk even though these two things may be classified in the same group of carcinogens smoking risk is like it's like a two thousand percent increase risk of lung cancer when you smoke Versus it's like an 18% increased risk of colon cancer when you consume 50 grams of processed meat every day. So they're not the same thing. It's not the same risk. We yeah. can't put those two things on the same playing field. I think it definitely does warrant reducing our consumption of these ultra processed foods. But having a random hot dog on the 4th of July at a picnic, like it's going to be okay. Right. Like who smokes a pack of hot dogs a day? Right. Like, no I would one. hope that's not like your your the, a mainstay in the diet. Right. I heard once that it was that hot dogs were so bad that you were only supposed to have one a year. <laughs> well, I mean, like, who's doing the research that says, OK, one is OK. My but mom. Now, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. So like, there's no data that's able to really like stratify that out very, very easily. Yeah. This is a really good question. And I would love to know the answer. Are all sugars the same from the body's perspective? Yeah. So also kind of a, a more complicated one. So yeah. I think that it's a kind of situation. So at the end of the day, I think, again, people lose the forest from the trees thinking that, oh, well, as long as I'm putting a lot of honey on my oatmeal, but not white sugar, it's healthier. So I can add as much as I want. You know, all different sweeteners, whether we're talking white sugar, brown sugar, uh, honey, agave, maple syrup, whatever, they all have different ratios of glucose to fructose, even like high fructose corn syrup, which is considered like the worst thing mm -hmm. in wellness culture. And it is true that fructose is metabolized differently in isolation in the body. So, it, you know, in isolation, it seems more damaging. But in real life, the research suggests that they all basically have the same metabolic effects. And we don't see differences in our fullness levels or leptin or insulin response or weight change or anything like that. So I, you know, with that, it's like, yes, we may have some trace minerals in maple syrup or honey, and those are, those are great, but I don't recommend you trying to get all your minerals from honey. You'd have to consume so much honey <laughs> and that would, to, to meet your mineral or, or your, your nutrient needs from, from honey. So where sugars are significantly different though, is whole food sources of sugar. So things like dairy or whole grains or fruit. And this is because the sugar is bound up with fiber, which slows down the sugar absorption and the insulin response. So sugars and whole foods do not have the same metabolic effect as what we call free sugars, mm -hmm. which uh, free sugars are kind of just like floating around on those on their own and are very quickly absorbed and utilized. And what about the fake sugars? Yeah. Aspartame. Well, phenylalanine, all that stuff. Right. So at this point, they're all deemed safe. And my my take home is that a lot of these sweeteners, depending on which ones, may cause some digestive distress in a lot of folks, especially those with IBS or more sensitive guts, uh, especially the sugar alcohols. Those are like deadly, like napalm for your bowels. And my experience as an IBS uh, sufferer. How graphic. 
Oh, I know. But generally speaking, I just say enjoy them in moderation. You I, you really shouldn't be consuming them any differently than you would regular sugar, in my opinion. I Kind of like if you wouldn't consume a regular Coke three times a day, I don't recommend having a Diet Coke three times a day. Kind mm. of same deal. So ultimately, these are hyper sweet and they program the brain in some ways to just not, or the, the taste buds at least, to not really appreciate the inherent sweetness in, in whole foods. So I do generally just recommend choose whatever sweetener you like, whether it's, you know, real sugar or artificial sweeteners or sugar alcohols or whatever, and use it in moderation. Fair enough. And the million dollar question, what's the best bread to eat? Sourdough, <laughs> wheat, whole wheat? What do you yeah, say? I mean, First of all, bread is, is is also sacred in my books. If you love your challah, eat your challah. Oh, like challah. you know, challah. it's the best. Um, but I, you know, we love sourdough. It's a great uh, option because it's fermented, which increases the bioavailability of the nutrients, and it also makes it easier to digest. So, while sourdough, for example, is not quote unquote like it's not gluten free, but a lot of folks who are a little bit sensitive to gluten can tolerate it because of the fermentation process. Wow. But generally speaking, you know, when we're looking at a, a bread, I want to you want to look for the words whole grain in the ingredient list and that should be like right at the top. It shouldn't be like white within, you know, enriched grains. It should be the words whole grain, whether it's whole rye grain or whole wheat grain, etc. You want to look for that hole in there. And that's going to denote that we've got the, you know, the germ um, and the bran, and that's going to help increase the fiber and protein and even some healthy fats as well. And what do you think about sprouted grains? Yeah, also, you know, same kind of deal as fermentation, it, it does increase the the bioavailability of the, the nutrients and can make it easier to digest as well. So I think it's a great choice if you find a, a sprouted grain bread that, that you love and it brings you joy. Um, but at the end of the day, like I don't recommend people choking down breads that they don't enjoy. So yeah. mm -hmm. if you like, like, like I said, like if you like white bread, like challah, turn it into a hunger crushing combo, like put some peanut butter on it, make it a satiating meal, have it with some eggs and some berries. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't, a, 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 a white bread is not necessarily, doesn't make a whole meal, quote unquote, unhealthy or quote unquote bad. Totally. We have one more question that I am curious about. What is natural flavoring? Yeah, this is a big question these days. So basically natural flavors as as defined by the FDA, derive their aroma and flavor from naturally occurring plant or animal sources. And we see natural flavors in those words, natural flavors, in the ingredient list of so many foods yeah. today, whether it's cereals or protein powders or other supplements or, you know, almost everything it, these days have this natural flavors. The controversy around these substances is that natural flavors as a kind of uh, catch-all phrase can have stabilizers or preservatives, aka kind of like artificial ingredients added to them to help them perform better in food. Um, and also the FDA doesn't require companies to disclose all the ingredients in the flavor blend. So basically we know from lots of research that natural flavors are safe to consume. I won't, I don't want to create any kind of fear. These are safe. You don't need to worry about them in my opinion. However, if you have dietary restrictions or rare allergies, 
there may be some reasons to avoid them. So, mm-hmm. you know, a vegan may want to avoid flavors derived from animals, obviously. And folks that have a, let's say, a rare fruit allergy might want to avoid flavors derived from that fruit. But because we don't have... Because we don't know what's actually... We in. don't know everything that's in yeah. it. We just don't have that full transparency. So again, generally speaking, I'm not concerned about natural flavors. I consume them. Um, but I also understand if you feel the need to have full transparency on ingredients, that this just might be something that you'd want to avoid. Mm-hmm. Abby, thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah. We, we have to wrap up, but you know, one fun question that we had for you is um, you, you're a home cook. What are mm-hmm. some recipes that you always turn to maybe some hunger crushing combo recipes or things that you make at home that are simple and satiating oh i love this um so for breakfast my kids and i we do like a well one of my favorite breakfasts is uh whipped egg white oatmeal like a protein oatmeal a lot of people put protein powder in the oatmeal i do that too but i have got a recipe in my blog for proats i call them or yeah. protein oatmeal and it's super popular i whip up egg whites until they're like frothy like like little tiny almost like you're gonna make a meringue and then you whip that into your oats uh, as you're cooking Ooh. the oats on the stove top and it makes this like huge fluffy dream like it does not taste eggy everyone's floored because like the comments are always like I was worried it was going to be eggy, but it's so not. This is the best thing ever. Oh, I so got to try this. All the time. It's, it's out of control good. I do that. Um, and I'll tell you what I'm making for dinner tonight in like a yes. few minutes. But um, one of our go-tos is uh, turkey sausages with I braise red cabbage with apples and a little bit of maple syrup and grainy mustard and um, balsamic. And then we do like pan-fried new potatoes that's like it's a very classic abby sharp family meal because everybody likes it and i love it i could eat like a whole like a whole bowl basically sounds delish we're doing that tonight so wait where can i find that proats recipe what what yeah, is your so blog? yeah where can everybody it's find abby's kitchen.com and there's like thousands of recipes on my blog. So lots to, to learn. Um, I've also got a free hunger crushing combo ebook download there that you can access on the, on the page there. Yeah. There's, there's tons of great inspiration for meals. And I, I really do want to just help pe- help people fall back in love with food in a really fun, mm-hmm. imaginative way. Amazing. I love that. Yeah, yeah, me too. We've forgotten that food is supposed to be pleasurable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we you do. Know, we do tend to forget sometimes, but yeah. it's it's nice to hear all of this from you. Like, but these are good facts, and now we can go out into the world and feel better and eat better. Yeah, Love I already that. feel better, and I'm very hungry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <I> Abby, <know. laughs> where can people find you and follow you? Yeah, I'm at Abby's Kitchen, A B B E Y S Kitchen. Basically everywhere, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and then on my website is abbyskitchen.com. That makes it so, so easy. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Remy, should we reflect a bit on this past week? Yeah. Today we're doing our favorite segment, 
I say everything is our favorite segment, but this really is Sweet or Salty, presented by Angie's Boom Chicka Pop. Angie's Boom Chicka Pop popcorn brings you a boom of bold, craveable flavor that you can enjoy at any time on any occasion. Whether you're taking a snack size bag on the go or unwinding with your favorite flavor and favorite show at the end of the day, Boom Chicka Pop is the perfect, delicious snack. Now, let's share what moments of our week have been sweet and salty. Okay, so my sweet moment of the week is I got to attend my other Emily's baby shower. Um, I have a college bestie. We lived together for three years of college. Um, We are the original Remily. And I know I'm sorry. I should be jealous, but I kind of just already like her. She's great. It's such an elite name. Yeah. yeah. And she's uh, she's making a baby right now. Uh, and mazel. she had the most fun baby shower. I got to see her whole family and we all got to buy little cutie gifts for the baby to come. And I'm just so excited because I'll have a baby around that's not mine. Is this your first friend who's had a baby? No. Oh, okay. All of my friends have kids. <laughs> Me too, yeah. actually. Yeah. Like all except for one. Yeah. Except for the ones who like very much don't. Right. And won't for a while. And I'm excited for those people because, you know, maybe in 10 years and maybe never. And do you have baby fever at all when you're at these events or when a friend has a baby? I just love babies. I always have, even when I, when I was a baby, like my mom kept a baby book for me and she was like, Remy like loves babies. She just thinks they're so cute. She doesn't realize that she's like a baby as well. I love that when like a one-year-old is like, is the baby here? And you're like, are you talking about you? You're the baby. Like yeah. you're still a baby, <laughs> yeah. dude. Um, <laughs> yeah. I I mean, I get baby fever because actually my two best friends mm-hmm. both have two kids. Mm-hmm. Wild. <laughs> it's just, I just didn't predict that that would happen. Yeah. That my two best friends would have two kids each and I would have none. I'm not ready <laughs> right for a now. baby. Yeah. Like I'm I'm not ready for a child. Yeah. But there is like, I don't know, that biological clock starting to ticking like this. And a baby is a sweet treat for all. But it's nice when it's not yours. Yes. A baby is a blessing, but especially when you don't have to take care of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then what about your salty? My salty thing of the week is I found some old diaries of mine, which I've talked to you about. Yeah, your famous diaries. famous diaries. And the dieting in the diaries is more upsetting than I actually remember. Because you used it as a food diary. Yeah. And I also talk about my fitness pal in it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, But there's like lists of like healthy stuff I should keep in my fridge. And like my goal weight is written out and it's really low and it's really sad. And there's like a lot of uh, just negative, not self-talk, like just writing. I am gross. I am this, that, you know. Uh, So that was a negativo. Not fun to find. Does it make you feel, I mean, obviously it makes you feel sad for younger you. Yeah. But do you feel happy for present you that you're not in that headspace? I do. I do. So I guess that was a bit of a sweet as well. But yeah, I cried when I read it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not going to ask. I'm so curious, but I'm not going to ask for. We can get into it on a journal episode, maybe in the future. Okay. I can can read them. That would be interesting. Yeah. I, college is such a toxic time for diet culture. Like it's so wise, mm-hmm. widespread. I know that there are probably some college age listeners listening yeah. to this. They probably think we're super chuggy, but. Um, chuggy? They don't even say that anymore. No way. <laughs> chuggy is chuggy? Chuggy is chuggy. 
God, I'm just going to bury myself. I'm going <laughs> to dig a hole and bury myself alive. Um, or no. just do the ostrich way where you just bury, make a hole for your head. My head stick in, it the, in sand. the sand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it sounds kind of relaxing. Yeah, it sounds fun. So when I was in college, I went to visit a friend for the weekend at a different college, yeah. of course. And she lived in a suite. And so she had, you know, there were four rooms, maybe two girls each. For some reason, I think we went into somebody else's room to borrow something or, or something. And I noticed they had a thin spiration wall mm. and it was like scary. Yeah. Like at the time I wasn't so scared by it because mm -hmm. I had similar things mm -hmm. like shrines to like celebrities whose bodies I thought were better than mine and mm -hmm. such. But it was like the Olsen twins, like during Mary Kate's yeah. very public yeah. eating disorder, you know, and it was like up there as this is what we want to look like. And they were eating these prepackaged meals mm. that were like the size of your fist. They had a little mini fridge in there. It was just like, it, it was such a, like, I thought I was bad. Yeah. I thought I was disordered. Yeah. And then I go into this room and it's like, not only are, are these girls clearly very disordered, but they're also egging each other on and like, yeah, encouraging each other. I just feel like that goes it's on a, culture. a lot. Yeah. That was a thing that my boyfriend said to me when I was like, I read him the entries, obviously. And he was like, yeah, I think honestly, a lot of this comes from growing up in New York city because other people were feeding you this mentality that this was normal. Yeah. And on the Upper East side, and on no the less. Upper East side. Yeah. Well, um, but now, now things are sweeter. Gotta love it. What was your sweet and salty of the week? I thought you would never ask. <laughs> so <laughs> my sweet moment of the week. Now, I almost didn't pick this because so far all my sweet or salty moments have been pants related. But right. I'm of the belief that the right pair of pants really can change everything about your day. Mm -hmm. I got two pairs of vintage Levi's and one pair of vintage Lee's, mm -hmm. which for all the secondhand girlies, for all the thrifters out there, that's incredible. Like, cause yeah. you have to try on so many pairs of jeans to find the right fit, especially with vintage jeans. Yeah. So it was just an outer body experience. Me Fun. being able to walk home with three pairs of jeans that Close to perfect. Unreal. Yeah. So that was my sweet moment. Oh, and specifically what I was looking for. Can I tell for, us the prices? I'll tell you the prices. You really want to know? Yeah. Okay. So I got one pair on sale for $45. Yeah. And then I got the, so the vintage Lees were 85 Okay. And then the Levi's were the most expensive. They were $120. Okay. But honestly, for good vintage jeans that fit. Not terrible. And they're classic. And they're classic mm -hmm. and, you know, they're just, they're going to last. So that's, that's a good feeling. Knock on wood. Um, specifically what I was looking for when setting out to buy jeans is, and I've mentioned this to you, mm -hmm. my C-toe situation. It's mm. always, it's just always a problem. It's always a problem. Every pair of jeans I have punches me in the crotch. I don't like wearing them. <laughs> I The second I get home, I strip down. I take off my jeans. I put on plaid pajama pants. And I just didn't want to live that way anymore. Yeah. I didn't want to live in fear of my camel toe. Yeah. So that was like really my main criteria is when I try on these jeans, if I have any, you know, 
semblance of a camel toe, mm-hmm. they're off. Mm-hmm. They're gone. I'm not going to convince myself that it's not really there. If you're given toe, you gotta go. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to get that <laughs> embossed on a plaque. Yeah, it's like, because sometimes I would buy jeans and I'd be like, oh yeah, like camel toe's kind of there when I stand this way, but mm-hmm. not really when I stand. You know, none of that. I was like, you see a camel toe, it's got to go. So <laughs> wait, what did you say? If you see the toe... If you get if if you give camel toe, you gotta go. Yeah, that's. But there was a pair of pants that I was giving as a hand me down to a friend of mine, uh-huh. and she was so obsessed with these pants, and she was like, "Okay, it does give me like a massive camel toe, but I like, don't care because I like love the pants so much." If you love them anyway, but her then... boyfriend goes, "Babe, I can see your camel toe from behind." <laughs> <No>! <laughs> That's extreme. No, but my <laughs> biggest issue is like, it's really uncomfortable. Like yeah. who wants to be sitting around with a camel toe <laughs> or walking around with a camel toe all day? It's just like, also, I, I'm not trying to like diminish my eggs. I'm trying to focus on my fertility. So. I don't think that the toe. You don't know that. Okay. You don't I'm gonna, know that. I'll ask some learned doctors. Ask an I'm expert. pretty sure lips have nothing to do with your eggs. <laughs> okay. But all right. All right. But did they not prove that like, cycling and um, heavy compression on the balls like diminishes. um, That's direct contact with the balls. Okay, but like, true. I'm not, there's no direct content with with my uterus. With your tubes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you don't know where my tubes are. I don't, you're right. My tubes could hang down. Yeah, you have no fucking. Do your tubes hang low? Bitch, you don't know nothing about my tubes. (laughs) All right. My salty moment. Yeah. Is telling me about your tubes. (laughs) Wait, I told you that my gynecologist said I have great fallopian tubes. No, right? that's wonderful. Humble brag. Beautiful fallopian okay. tubes. <laughs> great tubes, baby. Um, okay, my salty moment. Oh, I have a funyun on my toe. What? You're calling <laughs> it a funyun? Yeah. It's not a bunion, but it's not not a bunion. Uh-huh. To be honest, I don't really know what a bunion is. <laughs> Okay. It's it's like a bump on my toe and I'm pretty sure it's it's a callus uh-huh. from like maybe wearing too tight shoes or I, I sometimes walk a little pigeon toed. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what it is. It doesn't hurt or anything, but it's just like a big protruding callus on my toe. But it's fun. It's fun. No, I call it a funyun because it's a fake bunion. It oh. like looks like a bunion. Yeah, no, not because you can eat it. <laughs> it's not because it, it's exciting. It looks like a bunion, but it's not a bunion. Mm-hmm. Like, because I know what bunions are, and that's not what this is. A mm-hmm. bunion is like when the bone grows, like protrudes out. But okay. it's not a bone. It's like really it's tough skin. Yeah. And it's not really like that concerning. It's just when I saw it on my toe, I'm like, oh, great. Now I have this thing on my toe. You know, I had the thing on my eye. That I told you about. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember. Mm-hmm. I kept calling it a sty, but it wasn't a sty. Right. I like to call she things. She likes to make things not. up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when um, I was little, I used to call earlobes pilas because I thought that's what they should be called. Because you thought that's that what word they look like. Sounded like as it, a pila. It's onomatopoeing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the sty fell off. Good. Yeah. As styes don't do. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it was, the cyst or the pimple, whatever it was, it was on my eyelid for like over a year. Yeah. And like two weeks ago, it fell off. 
So I'm happy about that. But now I have this situation on my toe. But now you're concerned about the Funyun. Yeah, so now I have to go see... What, what do I say? have to see a podiatrist for this Funyun? Is it is it bothering your shoes? Like, do, does your foot hurt? It's only bothering me aesthetically. Is it itchy? No. Okay, then chill. So, like, just don't do anything about it? I think it? it's fine. But what if it gets even bigger? Like... Then address it. Okay. But I think for now it's okay. Do you have an even one on the other foot? No. Interesting. So... That's another thing. Now I'm really self-conscious about the way I'm walking. You feel uneven. Do I waddle? No. Are you sure? No. Do I like favor You're one America's fit? next top waddle. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. No. Okay. So I won't concern myself with it. No. I'm not like, I, I really don't. Anybody listening who thinks I have health anxiety or something, I actually really don't. Like I, <laughs> if anything, I put things off longer but just seeing this Funyun on my toe just like freaked me out. And yeah. Um, yeah, I felt salty about it, I guess. Yeah. You know, check your mom's feet because maybe mm. she's got them and maybe it's genetic. My mom and I do have identical feet. Yeah. It's go back eerie. to the source. I need to. Yeah. Go straight to the source. Mm -hmm. I got it from my mama. That song is about Funyuns. I think about this because my sister has my mom's Funyuns. <laughs> Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Are they Funyuns or are they Bunyuns? Uh, they're Bunyuns. And they also both have these like little triangle shaped pinky toes, which I think are so cute. <laughs> oh, like a little pyramid. Yeah, they're little pyramid toes. But sh whenever Charlotte doesn't like her feet, she's like, Mom, do you like your feet? I, I feel love like my feet. Oh, good. I have I my grandmother's like feet. Oh, Nanny? Yeah. That's so special. Yeah. I feel like there's not enough of foot positivity going around. I love my feet so much because, like, they're always the same. True. They're the one constant in your life, or the mm -hmm. two, I guess. Except the toe hairs. Sometimes they go and come. I have it, too. I call them <laughs> hobbit toes. It's yeah. not a big deal. Um, I like my feet, too. And I also, I like feet. Like, not in a sexual way. You're not put off by feet. Like no. most people that are like, get your feet away from right. me. Like yeah. when, when people are grossed out by feet or don't like to be next to them, I genuinely don't understand. Yeah, I get it. I get salty about that. I get salty about that. Yeah. Because I really love feet. Like I love like I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll like stick my foot in my boyfriend's face and just like kind of like press it up against his cheek. Mm -hmm. Like to me, it's nice. Like holding feet. Mm -hmm. It's like holding hands, mm -hmm. but lazier. Yeah. I have very calloused heels. It's always been a thing. And I remember there was an older person in my life who was like, you need to always get pedicures because who's going to want to kiss your calloused feet or whatever. And it's what? like, first of all, fuck you. I'm not <laughs> going to get a pedicure every month because that's ridiculous. They're going to grow back anyway. And second of all, everybody kisses my calloused feet. Well, but also, does he know anything about foot fetishes people like when your feet are nasty i love when you assume the gender of the person and it's wrong oh my god was this a woman <laughs> i just assume every judgmental person is a man or like anyone who says anything dumb i'm like that must be a guy right um, <laughs> it's, it's miss andrea at its finest yeah no i i don't know if if they were considering foot fetishes at all, they were just thinking that people need like perfect Pretty feet perfect that pristine, people want to kiss yeah no, feet or feet. Yeah, but also I, I just I just know this to be generally true that like the people who want to kiss feet the most, they don't need them to look perfect. No, they actually wouldn't mind it being like a little stinky, yeah, a little sweaty, toe cheese. Leave me a little fungus. Yeah. The only thing nobody likes is uh, sharp toenails. 
No, least it of gets all you me in the night. I really hate when my toenails are too long because they hurt my shoe, like my feet and my shoes. I've literally busted open sneakers before. No, you have not. To- yes, I have. With your toenail? Yeah. <laughs> That's when you know you need a pedicure. Yeah. Guys, when it comes to snacking, sweet and salty is the perfect combination. With delicious, bold flavors like sweet and salty kettle corn, white cheddar, and sea salt, Angie's Boom Chicka Pop is the perfect match for every craving. I personally love the kettle corn. Mm -hmm. I think that's your favorite too, right? Yeah, but I just tried the white cheddar and I'm low-key obsessed. The white cheddar is very, very good if you're more of a savory person, Yeah, but they're all good. Just try them all. Mm-hmm. You can try Angie's Boom Chicka Pop for yourself by visiting boomchickapop.com. That's B-O-O-M-C-H-I-C-K-A-P-O-P.com. That's it for today's episode. Be sure to send your questions to dst at betches.com and follow us at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram. If you like this episode, please write us a review and don't forget to check out our DST merch on shop.betches.com. Rate, review, subscribe, and of course, follow me at Lubination. And follow me at Remy Casimir and follow Abby. And don't forget, we are always with you through thick and thin. Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Aliza Zinn. Editing by Sean Kilby. Social media by Aliza Zinn. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Be sure to follow Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to dst at betches.com or your voicemails to 212-287-5650. Betches.